You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Well, as Cliff will let you know, my name's Jerry. I've, uh, I have the privilege of uh, being a member here in uh, Liberty Family Church, and I'd like to um, just share a few uh, thoughts with you this morning that uh, are really a, a follow-on, and so I'm asking a question that hopefully you'll come to understand how to answer that to some extent uh, by the end of um, the time together here. And let me start by praying, though. Father, we thank you that um, you have rescued us, that you have uh, brought us into your kingdom of light. And as we uh, think about how we respond to that now, I pray that you would give us insight, that you would give us open ears. And Father, I pray that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable to you. Thank you, Jesus. So since July, uh, we've been uh, looking at a series called uh, Idols of the Heart. And uh, with the Idols of the Heart, I'll get the first slide there, thanks, Peter. And we thought about four different idols, and these aren't the only possible idols of the heart, but uh, power, control, comfort and approval. And uh, I think it was in the first uh, session... Joel gave us a quote from Tim Keller, which I'd like to um, repeat here. And Tim Keller, in uh, his book, Counterfeit Gods, defines an idol this way. What is an idol? It's anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give what only God can give. A counterfeit God, an idol, is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Now, Fred and Rosa could uh, tell you about this, but in our Connect group, when we were talking about this, I actually thought I was off the hook. Yeah, because I thought about, okay, well, actually, have I got any idols in my life? And um, is there something that, if I were to lose it, like I would think my life was not worth living? And I actually couldn't identify a particular thing. So I thought, great, I'm off the hook. And uh, I guess I kept thinking that way, you know, as we went through the four different idols. Uh, But that got me thinking that maybe we should be thinking about this in a slightly different way. Because I had a sneaking suspicion that I actually wasn't off the hook with the challenges that were coming my way. And so I want to ask you about your alignment. How's your alignment with the kingdom of God? How are our hearts aligned with what God is doing and what God has done? So I want to start by having a look at uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. His words uh, go like this. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. 
And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. Now, our Western culture, our Western society, is, uh, for better or worse, has a bit of a Greek idea built in to our what's called our worldview, how we um, see the world. And if we're not careful about the way we read uh, verses like here in Colossians chapter 3, um, we can uh, get our understanding of things a bit skewed. And this, is, this idea is that there's a sacred and that there is a secular. And it's a lens through which society, which we're immersed in in terms of culture, um, looks at the world. And when we read these, this, uh, these verses from Colossians 3, we equate sacred with the things of heaven and we equate secular with the things of earth. And so you think about, you know, what does society think of as sacred? Well, they'd label church, prayer, worship, giving, fasting, some of these kinds of things. And uh, secular, work, sport, government, medicine, law, uh, the environment, our families, leisure, health, I could go on and on. And I actually think if we read our Bibles this way, through this sacred secular lens, it's actually unhelpful. And it leads us to the place, if we don't think about it and act on what we're thinking about, that there's all this stuff that my faith is irrelevant to. But that is actually uh, not what God calls us to. So there's lots of people in Australian society that are happy for us to go to church, to pray, to worship, to give, to fast, and so on, as long as we keep it private. And there's a whole other message, if you like, about that issue, but it, that's actually evidence that this idea is embedded in our culture. That there are certain things that you weird Christians do uh, that are they're sacred, and you can do those in private, but don't bring your faith into other parts of life. And I think that um, we've got evidence that we're immersed in a culture that is, might be hindering our alignment with what God wants for us to do. So let's have a look at, um, in the first place, at Colossians chapter 1. I just want to um, read a um, few verses from 12 to 14. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so the way that I like to look at this is that every aspect of life can either be aligned with either the light or it can be aligned with the dominion of darkness. And um, I sort of, when I was getting, thinking about a graphic for this, I was thinking, oh, maybe I should get something that's a needle, you know, sort of a gauge or something like that. But um, I'm just going to use this simple two-sided thing. But realize that may, you know, things could be further one way or the other way. So I'd like to have a look at five aspects of life 
uh, that our society puts in the sacred box. Church, prayer, worship, giving and fasting. So let's have a think about church, first of all. Um, there's some strong words that the Apostle Paul writes in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So we think about church, and Paul wrote these words, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Um, so clearly this secular thing is not necessarily aligned in this context of the Corinthians with the kingdom of light. It's actually leaning towards the dominion of darkness. And uh, if we think back to the idols, there's probably idols of power and control at work here with these divisions. Now, I don't have a, a scripture reference, but in the letter to the Hebrews, the writer says, don't neglect meeting together. And uh, that's because uh, being church is, is not just about listening to a message like we're doing now. It's not just about singing songs, but it's about belonging. And I guess like if you're watching online, that's fantastic. But if watching online, participating online is all you do, you're, sort of, you're missing out on the, the richness of discipleship that happens here. So um, if you're watching online, sharing with us now, let me encourage you to come and join us so that you can uh, get some of the blessing of that Richard because it's participating in the community and the discipleship that happens brings the, king, the church more in alignment with the kingdom. Now there's a flip side to this too from my, our experience and Melinda probably remembers this well. So we uh, also work in the Solomon Islands as a Bible translation advisor and back in the 70s, there was a significant revival that happened in the Solomon Islands. And one particular denomination, the South Seas Evangelical Mission, um, like there was just amazing prayer meetings, revivals, and they were having like 4 a.m. prayer meetings every morning. Well, they were still doing this, but it had become like a routine. It became something that you had to do. And they used to call people to the prayer meeting uh, by banging an empty gas bottle. And it was at what? We counted the number of times they hit the gas bottle once. I think it hit 400 or something like that. Because attendance wasn't very good. Um, but it had become a thing. It had become a thing that you had to do and your spirituality was measured by did you get to the 4am prayer meeting. And so I'm not saying to you if you're missing out on the discipleship that we're measuring you, but... It's uh, the joyful voluntary participation. So let's have a think about prayer. Another sacred thing. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 8, Jesus says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. 
Now here's a great example of the idol of approval at work. Uh, the Pharisees are praying in public so that they can get that, uh, that bit of approval. approval. Now we won't take time to look at, uh, at another parable that relates to this, uh, but in Luke chapter 18 there's a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector praying and um, just that idea of pride coming out there. So we can see this sacred thing according to society, can be aligned with the kingdom of light or it can be aligned with the dominion of darkness. Let's think about worship. So, again, you know, we could talk about, well, what's worship? Where does it fit? Uh, I think I, I, I've decided to go for the, uh, one of the very strongest, I guess, biblical condemnations of worship, if you like, uh, by having a look at some words from Amos chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but lest justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. So here's an idol of power at work because um, really the authorities who are controlling the worship in the temple uh, neglecting justice and so what's happening in their worship life it's not lined up with what's happening in the rest of their life. They're, they're pretty stern words and there, there are a number of places through the Old Testament where God actually says, you know, I, I hate this worship that you're bringing. I'm not telling you that uh, this is true for you. What I'm trying to illustrate is something that the society considers to be sacred can be aligned with the dominion of darkness. The, um, on a more recent uh, kind of thing, the, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, song by Matt Redmond, uh, Heart of Worship. I probably haven't sung it for a while, but uh, it has these lines in. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. Now, Matt, Matt Redmond was... A, um, a worship pastor in the Soul Survivor movement in the UK. And uh, this, there was a significant moment where this occurred where they realised actually their worship had become a performance uh, rather than a thing directed to God. And so again, we've, how is this aligned? Okay, the sacred thing of giving. We've just done some giving here this morning or you've automated it by going online, um, but giving. Mark chapter 12, we, um, we read these account of, um, of Jesus. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave, it out, of, they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So if you like, there's an idol of comfort going on here where um, the wealthy givers had not been uh, as sacrificial. Or um, have a think about these words that Jesus spoke in 
uh, his Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 6. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. You can see the trumpet going on. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So again, we see the idol of approval at work here uh, in, this, in this giving. And uh, perhaps uh, something that might be considered the most sacred thing, a spiritual discipline, um, that of fasting. Jesus had this to say about fasting. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face or makeup on your face, whatever you do, to look normal now, uh, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, we see an idol of approval at work here. So let's just uh, review a bit. Pete, can I have the next slide there? So these five sacred things we've just been thinking about, church, prayer, worship, giving, fasting, um, they can be aligned with the kingdom of light or they can be aligned with the kingdom of darkness. And so hopefully you can see that this idea of alignment can be used um, to check aspects of our Christian life, the things that uh, our culture considers to be sacred. Well, I actually believe that this notion can be used for every part of our life, uh, whether it's work, leisure, money, family, politics, health, suffering, environment, relationships, hobbies, sport. You know, we could just list an aspect of your life that uh, I don't necessarily know about. Um, you can ask questions that help you to understand. So I want to um, briefly look at four things, and I'm really only going to skim the surface because I just, it's just to give you an example of how we can um, think about this. And then I've got uh, five questions that hopefully you can take away and use um, in your daily life. So let's think about aligning work with the kingdom of light. Um, and um, with Cameron's permission, uh, I've asked if I can uh, just use him as an example. If he doesn't like what I'm saying, I guess he can you know, mute me or something. Um, but uh, think about Cameron. Now, what, what, how does Cameron's work as uh, an electrician and his business as an electrical business get aligned with the kingdom of light? Does that mean uh, he'll be evangelising his customers, sharing the gospel with them, giving out Bibles to them, uh, praying for them? Well, those opportunities might arise, uh, but those things by themselves are not what I think means that Cameron's work is uh, necessarily aligned with the kingdom of light. You know, I'd love Cam and his workers to understand that their work is actually something in and of itself that is done for God. Doing electrical work well, well it's actually really important for, for, you know, for people's well-being. 
Um, but what I find interesting, in the Old Testament, gifting of craftsmen is actually referred to as wisdom given by the Holy Spirit. And so as an electrician, he's, he's got skills that he uses to bless people, and that's something that he's doing for God. Uh, it's about charging fairly for his work. It's perhaps about treating his workers justly and making sure that they're paid and, and paid properly. Uh, it's being alert to speak encouragement to his team members and to his customers, so to speak. It's being alert to look for injustice in a workplace or corruption and having the guts to speak about those things if needed. Um, it's about his identity. If Cam's identity is so wrapped up in his work, then maybe that's bordering on, you know, getting aligned with the kingdom of darkness, whereas work, you know, that's actually a pretty big thing in our society, particularly for men, that work is like an anchor of alignment for identity. And um, that's actually not where our identity comes from. It's, really, it's, it's important to us, there's no doubt about that. Or what about his time? be spending so much time working, doing overtime, whatever, then you know other things are going to be neglected, perhaps. And so it requires a bit of time to think about, okay, how does work align with the kingdom of light as opposed to the kingdom of darkness? Let's have a think about leisure, aligning leisure to the kingdom of light. Well, restfulness is actually a kingdom value. So as I'm just talking about things here, don't hear me saying that I think leisure is a bad thing. Leisure, like anything else in life, needs to be aligned with the kingdom of light. Restfulness is a value, but there's a risk of self-indulgence, isn't there? Yeah? How much are we spending on our leisure? You're spending so much on leisure that you can't use your financial resources for other things God might want you to do. Um, are we looking for opportunities to bless people through our leisure? Are we including time for Jesus in our leisure? Are we getting our rest from him in that leisure? And are we choosing activities for our leisure that bless other people and maybe bless the environment? Uh, so the, the risk, there's a risk of an idol of comfort here when it comes to leisure. Uh, but it's... Just like everything else, we can ask good questions about that. What about money? Aligning money with the kingdom of light. Well, we want to beware of serving money. Jesus had something to say about that. You can't serve two masters. Uh, we're using it to honour God. I had a, um, last Thursday morning, I was um, uh, listening to a... Um, Pastor Christian thinker Steve McAlpine at uh, Canterbury Gardens Community Church that incidentally have a connection with the Tobias family. Um, but uh, I met one of their pastors there who um, I asked him about a previous boss I had. Now, my, um, before I um, got anywhere near Bible translation work, but uh, when I was in my old days working in agriculture, and uh, this guy, Ron Pierce, who, you know, must be almost 90 now, his use of his money to bless people was phenomenal. And, um, yes, this guy I was speaking to is sort of making a mini documentary about, about Ron and Lorna's life. And, um, you know, that 
Solomon Island people getting a Bible in, in a language they know, is, he plays a part in that because of the way he used his money. Are we, are we relying on our money instead of relying on God? And uh, we need to recognise that uh, Jesus said it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah? A camel can't go through the eye of a needle. It's actually impossible. Uh, of course, God makes it possible for us because we rely on his grace. Are we prepared to give it away like Jesus gave that challenge to the rich young man? So I think there are probably idols of power and comfort at work when it comes to money. What about family? How does family align with the kingdom of life? Well, there are massive opportunities for the fruit of the spirit to be developed, aren't there? Um, there are beautiful opportunities to express love. The dominion of darkness, I guess we see great prevalence with uh, you know, the epidemic of domestic violence that we see in our society. So you know, families um, can lead that way. But within our family, aligning with the kingdom of light, seizing and using the moments for discipleship, um, for leading, avoiding selfishness, um, these things are ways that our families get aligned with the kingdom of light. So I've skimmed over a bunch of ideas here. And um, we could spend more time, you know, we could spend a chunk of time looking at each of these areas or one of the many, many others. But I want to move from that thinking, those examples, um, to some action and some questions that I'd like to leave with you. But we need to start um, with our alignment in the first place. Now, Ray's not here this morning, but Ray restores old cars and... Um, one of the things that, if you want to be able to drive a car, the wheel alignment has to be in good order. And if our wheel alignment is out so badly, you've got a car that you actually can't drive. And the only way that our wheel alignment, our metaphorical wheel alignment, can be sorted out is for Jesus to do that. You can't steer a car in the direction you want to go unless the wheels are aligned. Can't, we won't be able to steer our lives in the direction we want to go unless Jesus has rescued us. So I want to go back to that scripture that um, I started with, which is part of Paul's prayer. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So lean into this rescue that Jesus has done, that God the Father has made possible. Now, if you're not sure whether you've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and you've been brought into the kingdom of light, um, come talk to Pastor Joel, come talk to me, talk to a Christian you trust about that and what that looks like. Uh, because um, without that, yeah, nothing else I say here actually has any value. We, that's our starting place. No alignment, we won't be able to steer uh, where we want to go. Uh, but once you know your basic alignment is sorted, uh, then we've got these words from First Peter that we can think and act on in alignment with the kingdom. 
the Apostle Peter wrote, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. In other words, the way I've been thinking about this morning, have every aspect of your life aligned with the kingdom of light. And so I've got five questions that hopefully you'll be able to take that um, will help you to think about the alignment. So my first question is, how will I respond to what the Bible has to say about fill in the blank? Yeah. Now, for some things, this might be straightforward. What, you know, what does Scripture say about family, whatever? But what about sport? Okay. Um, you won't find any Bible references about sport. You'll find some metaphors that relate to sport and athletics and competing and so on. And they're not necessarily going to help you answer this question. So you actually need to be immersed in the scriptures to be able to think about this. And yet, you know, with, with something, you know, what does, how will I respond to what the Bible has to say about cryptocurrency? <laughs> well, the Bible doesn't say anything about cryptocurrency per se, but it has lots to say about wealth, money, and, those, and, and where your focus and your heart is. So let's be immersed in scripture. Okay, my second question. What can I do in this part of my life that brings honour to Jesus? What can I do in this part of my life that brings honour to Jesus? Yeah. Whether it's uh, politics, whether it's being on the sideline at your kid's sport, whether it's uh, cleaning something somewhere, serving at church, what can you do in your life that brings honour to Jesus? My third question is, in seeking the kingdom of God, what do I need to change about the way I fill in the blank, relate to my wife, treat my employees, um, do my taxes, so on? Seeking the kingdom of God, what do I need to change about the way I, whatever it is, action can do? My next question, how will love be expressed in this part of my life? And I think this is a really important question for areas of life where love is in short supply. Politics, yeah, there's a short supply of love because everyone's angry about some issue, yeah? Uh, law is probably another area where there's a short supply of love. And these are um, areas where we can ask this question. But it's also relevant in, you know, the the things that you and I experience um, each day. And then my, then my last question is, could there be an idol at work in this part of my life? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you see that, to help you see if there is, and then ask the Spirit to show you how to be free from its power. Uh, because um, some of these things we can't free ourselves from. 
So there are five questions. Hopefully they're useful for you. I would encourage you to talk about them in your connect groups. And um, I guess that leaves us with, with the big question, how's your alignment? How's your alignment today? What, what is God calling you uh, today to think about in any particular area of your life? Let me pray for you all. Father God, we thank you that you have rescued us. And if we haven't been rescued yet, Father, I pray that your spirit would um, bring light to bear, that the hope of the gospel uh, would bring those who are listening here today into your kingdom so that they may know the joy of that. And so they may experience the joy of a life fully aligned with the kingdom of light. That's our prayer today, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.